Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And I feel like today's conversation with Matrix New World has been a long-awaited interview, so I'm very happy that we have Nathan Miller and Elizabeth Mora here from Matrix New World. And Nathan is the Arizona Operations Manager, and Elizabeth is a Senior Hydrologist. I don't even know if I said that correctly or not and Modeling Supervisor. Welcome to Phoenix Business Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, thank you. Did I botch that title? Hydrogeologist. Hydro. I knew I, knew I did <laughs> not do okay. that right. That's okay. A uh, lot of syllables in there. Yeah. Uh, hydrogeologist. I could do that. Yeah. Geologist with yeah. hydro in front of it. There you go. <laughs> what is a hydrogeologist? Basically, a groundwater scientist. So... Anything water-related below the ground yeah. in the aquifers. Um, my background's in geology, but when you weave in hydrology, then it's really about the earth and the earth's processes and anything. Really what we do is, like I said, below grade, below the ground. So yeah. groundwater. Okay. That I, that I can remember. Okay. And Nathan, you yourself, I know that your title is Arizona Operations Manager. There's a little bit more depth to that as well. Tell us a little bit about what, what your background is. Yeah. You could say I'm a hydrogeologist as well. I don't I don't have a geology degree, so I like to say I'm a hydrologist. But but really what we all do uh, in, in our office is hydrogeology. We, we um, do everything groundwater, everything hydrogeology. That's what we do. So whether that's we help with the uh, remediation of groundwater contamination. We also help with uh, water resources questions. And that's that's one of the things that Elizabeth and I want to make sure we talk about today is a little bit about water resources in Arizona and and how what our role is in that. And Matrix New World has is how long have you been in Arizona serving in the Arizona community? So Matrix New World has been in Arizona. I'm not going to get the year right, sure. but uh, we— they acquired a company called Southwest Groundwater Consultants in 2015. Okay. Prior to that, the Matrix did have a presence here in the Phoenix area. I just don't know for how long, uh, to be honest. But in 2015, the company that I was with, uh, Southwest Groundwater Consultants, was acquired by Matrix. And we just grew from there. They, they acquired us. We're a team of hydrogeologists, and, and we became the hydrogeology hub for the company. Fantastic. I have a lot to learn in this segment. I'm aware of that. Before we get into those conversations so that we can help educate our listeners and viewers, I'd love to hear a little bit about what got you interested in this field. Does, how far does it go back? I mean, is it something that you knew when you were sitting in a science class as a middle school or a high school kiddo that this is what you wanted to do? Either one of you can start. In college, I'm shopping around for a major. I'm flipping through the catalog. I see Oh, hydrology. Okay, it, it uh, involves being out in the field. I get to do field work, but also involves math and science and, and computer modeling. So it, it just kind of resonated with me. And and uh, so I got my degree in hydrology. I didn't really know I was going to be a groundwater modeler, but uh, as I started my, my career, there was a need for it. It was, you know, I think computer nerd is in my DNA a little bit, and it just I just kind of gravitated toward that. So that's why I became a groundwater modeler. I can't wait to hear about the technology piece of this, the, the, the modeling piece of it. How about yeah. for you, Elizabeth? Yeah, so, you know, I started out, I took um, a couple geology courses at the community college and loved it, really just fell in love with studying about anything about the earth. 
I mean, hydrology is just really one portion of geology. You know, with geology, you get to study earthquakes and volcanoes and and fossils. And, and there's so many different aspects of geology that I loved. And as my bachelor years were coming to the end, I was thinking, I'm literally just starting to peek into all of these cool upper courses that were really interesting to me. I went to ASU Geology, and um, I didn't want it to end. And so I was kind of searching for what do I do next and how to whatever I choose, I want it to be something that I can take really forthright into my future, you know, and make a career out of it. And I chose hydrology and went to UVA and got my master's down there um, at UVA in hydrology. I just, I don't know, I just love it. So it's, I'm very passionate about not just water resources in Arizona, but also geology and the earth. And I think a lot of us too in our group and any other group of our discipline are outdoors people. We're hikers and rock climbers and kayakers. And, you know, we do a lot of running and stuff like that. So just, we just love being, we just love the earth. Yeah. Well, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> More of us could love the earth, I, I think. <laughs> All right. And how long have you been with Matrix New World? Is A long time as well? I'm coming up on six years. Okay. So yeah, I'm about 20 years into my career. And I worked for the U.S. Geological Survey um, as a student hydrologist during my master's in Tucson. And then after that, worked for another consulting firm in town. But I've been with Matrix and with, with Nathan and his team so, for about six years. And did your paths cross at U of A or different time timelines? <laughs> different timelines. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's back up the train a little bit. Uh, Nathan, you gave us a little bit of introduction to No World Matrix Specifically, if you were describing the company to somebody new, like me, uh, how would you describe the company? And again, either of you can jump in, and then I really want to talk about how Matrix is addressing today's water resource challenges. But let's first properly introduce the company. We are a nationwide firm, but a small company. We have uh, under 300 nationwide. We have offices, our headquarters in New Jersey. We have two offices in New Jersey. We have an office in Manhattan. We have uh, offices in the Gulf, in the Baton Rouge area, and then out here in Arizona, we have three offices. So the company does a wide variety of things. Each office kind of has its own specialties. Like I mentioned before, we're the hydrogeology hub of the, of the company, but our other offices, we do a variety of things. It's environmental cons consulting is a big part of what all the offices really do, but there's different aspects of that. We do geotechnical engineering. We do offshore wind development marine and waterfront engineering. You know, we do wetlands mitigation in the Gulf. There's disaster response. There's a lot of things we do. I can't really talk much about most of those, but I can really talk about what we do in Arizona. Well, that's what, we, <laughs> that's what we're here for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Anything you'd add to that, Elizabeth? Yeah, I'm just really involved, mostly involved in what we're doing in Arizona and the hydrogeology and the water resources aspects. So, yeah, that's just really our area of expertise. I'm yeah. glad. Well, so let's talk about Arizona specifically. What do you focus on and how, um, is import how important is it for us as community members and residents of Arizona? And that's a really broad question, but, you know, help me, help me understand. I think it might be a general question. Yeah, what we do is, is a niche and it is pretty specific, but it does fit into the, to the broader community. And that, that's part of the reason why I wanted to come here and, and be able to talk about what we do and, and why it's important. You know, we mentioned we we focus on groundwater, and Elizabeth and I, we have a groundwater modeling team, and we're developing these models to of different areas all over the state primarily, and, and we do some work out of state as well. But our, our primarily focus 
in some cases, we're, we're looking at uh, groundwater contamination remediation, characterizing where, where groundwater has been contaminated and how best to clean that up. But a lot of our focus is on larger regional scale models that we use to uh, evaluate water resources questions. And so we're running models uh, all throughout the state for those, those types of questions. I was just going to ask, is this greater Phoenix specific? But it's really all over Arizona. Yeah, there is groundwater throughout the state, and and all of those, uh, I'll call them pockets or basins uh, with, with groundwater, are are important to our state. Are these underutilized resources? Are we learning more about it, or is it something that in the industry that that people are aware that we have these resources available to us? I would say some might might say that we're over uh, using these resources. Okay. You know, groundwater is. Uh, a lot of cases is a finite resource. It's we're we're pumping out more than is naturally replenished with with rainfall and recharge. So it isn't a, a resource that we could rely on solely into the future. But it is a, an important resource, even if we had a, a completely renewable supply of water. There are reasons why we need to use groundwater. For for example, we may the demand for water may be in one area, but those renewable water resources, whether it's uh, surface water in the Salt River system or or Colorado River that we're river water that we're bringing in through the CAP canal, they may not be in the right locations to where the demand for water is, and so the the groundwater allows us to to pump water out where we need it. It also serves as a as a storage supply or a place to store water. So if we have excess surface water supplies, we can we can put them into the ground and save them for later. So what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and is that part of the work that you do? Fascinating. Oh, yeah. We do a lot of water supply studies, cities, towns, developers, um, large uh, nonprofit groups, but also a lot of recharge projects as well. So there is an obligation to replenish water back into the ground, into the aquifers as a fraction of what you've taken out. So, and that may change over time, but a lot of what we do is also recharge water, whether there's earthen dug basins that you're there, you know, water's being added to, and that water is then infiltrating down and recharging the groundwater down to the aquifer, or maybe injection wells where we're targeting a deeper layer, we're building a well and and pumping that water, injecting it deeper into the ground. So yeah, we do a lot of both sides of water supply projects for Arizona. And how much education do you find that you and your company do with either municipalities or regions or even business owners? I would imagine that it would require some education and helping people understand limited resources and where the resources are coming from and even this piece around replenishing it. And you also spoke to obligation. I'm I'm curious about, let's talk about education first, but also this obligation. I'd love to hear more about that. So, who would want to speak to the education piece? Do you find that we we need to educate more people, decision makers, lawmakers, and business owners? Yes. Ah, good. <laughs> a lot of municipalities they do they are pretty sophisticated. They understand the water management pretty well. But then you know there's there's definitely an education piece to what we need to do to communicate. You know wh- why this is important. You know we may be hired by a developer to who's seeking an assured water supply approval to so that they can build a subdivision, but understanding why we're doing all of the things we're doing and and why there are uncertainties and and why is it maybe isn't as straightforward as they'd like it to be it, it isn't just a simple engineering 
project. It's a science and, and there's uncertainty and we address all of that. And we interact with the regulatory agency, Arizona Department of Water Resources and the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality and, and others. So we speak to their scientists and help solve these problems for our clients. And you mentioned the obligation portion. So, and, and I mentioned uh, assured water supply and subdivision. So in Arizona, you're required to demonstrate an assured water supply if you live within one of the active management areas. So the Phoenix area, Casa Grande, Pinal, and Tucson, Prescott, those are a few of the active management areas. In those areas, in order to develop a subdivision, as defined by the Department of Real Estate, six or more uh, lots for sale, you have to demonstrate that there's a 100-year assured water supply. So as part of that, you know, some of the those developers might be proposing to use groundwater as their source of supply. But in most of the AMAs, in order to develop based on groundwater, you have to actually demonstrate that you're going to replenish the aquifer for most of the water that you're proposing uh, to pump to meet your supply. So that's kind of where the obligation piece comes in. Yes. And and does your company then not only help figure out how that's going to happen, but also provide that as a service to make sure it's the water's there? Yeah, through all the permitting processes okay. too. Yeah, definitely. We we kind of a one stop shop for that type of scenario that Nathan's describing. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So, why is groundwater so important then to our water supply? So I, I mentioned that we do we have surface water as a supply in Arizona, mm-hmm. and it's a very important supply. Over half of our water in Arizona is served uh, either through Colorado River or water from the Salton Verde system. Those are a big part of our water supply here and and one that we've been relying on quite a bit. As you may have heard, we are in a situation where our allocation of Colorado River water is is being cut back. And so we're we're now having to rely on less Colorado River water. And so now we have some important decisions to make going forward and and whether that's somehow reducing our demand for water, uh, which is possible, uh, or augmenting the supply, finding new sources of water. Those are challenging, complicated questions, and it's going to take time to to answer those questions. In the interim, we've we've got to make sure we have enough water to to meet our needs. And so, groundwater is 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 a supply that we've we've used in the past, uh, and we continue to use. And we may have to rely on it a little bit more in this interim period, where we're figuring out how to solve these bigger, longer term water resources challenges. We forget we live in the desert. <laughs> Right? We are a desert. And uh, this year in particular, we were talking about a little bit before we even went on air, how wet it's been. From my perspective, a general layperson, it seems like we've got plenty of water. I was talking about, you know, the Tempe Town Lake and all this, you know, rushing water. You look at it from a very different perspective. Tell me about that. What are some of maybe the misnomers or some of the assumptions we make that you would say, yes, this is all, you're wrong. (laughs) Any, any thoughts around, you know, again, the general layperson, to your point, you know, we don't have the water that we, we, we're not allocated as much as we've had in the past. I, I think what I would say first to that is one year is not, does not solve our long-term problems. So if we continue to have years like this year after year, we're good. Not likely, though. <laughs> not not <laughs> we, likely. We were talking how 81, 82, 83 was the last time that us as residents of Arizona for that long have even seen this amount of rain. So that's a great a misnomer is to think that just because we've had one very wet year to assume that that means that we're good to go forever. 
Yeah. Yeah, and this this year has been great. And the salt and verde systems are full and they're releasing water. As you can see, the salt river's flowing right now as we drove up here today. We can see it bank to bank pretty much because they're releasing water from the dams and allowing that water to go through the channel and then naturally recharge the aquifer. But that does not mean that this will continue into the future. No. <laughs> so we don't we don't know. Yeah, I, again, I think the last time that I remember this amount of rain and water was back in the 80s, and that's a long time ago. Uh, you both mentioned the groundwater flow models. Why are they important, and, you, and can you help us understand what, what that's, you know, the work that you do? Yeah, so groundwater flow models are a really cool tool that we use. <laughs> what that is, there's a, there's a lot of different inputs that are added into a groundwater flow model. So there's water coming into the aquifer and there's water that leaves the aquifer. So whether the water coming in is recharge through the mountain front, the edges of the basin where the mountains are and that rain comes in or streams and, and rivers that flow through a given basin. Water that may leave that system would be pumping of wells, or maybe there's some sort of connection in the ground to an, an adjacent basin. So there's kind of a balance of water that's coming in and going out of, of any given aquifer or basin system. And so these groundwater flow models that we use, we develop and we use, and others develop, like the U.S. Geological Survey or Arizona Department of Water Resources have, has developed several very important um, regional models that then consultants and others can take to update and use and then, and then use those models to make informed decisions moving into the future. So you can build these models, groundwater flow models, with all this input data that we know that's measured. Um, we know where the water levels are in the aquifer, and we can calibrate these models to kind of current day standards and then use those calibrated models to go into the future to, to inform decisions. It's real data is what I hear you real saying. Real data. Not hypothetical. Real <laughs> Well, I mean, to a degree, but I but I hear you saying that there's many factors that come into it, so it makes it, it's it's real real data that you can really count on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe we're using weather station data to um, look at relative distribution of precipitation along mountain fronts, and then from there we can you know you can calculate how much water do you think would be going into the aquifer of of the mountain front recharge, or there's there's gauges along streams and rivers that we can measure, you know, mostly they're dry, but when they're not dry, there's an instrument there that measures the flow. And so we can use that as input into the model and know when those pulses of water come into the aquifer. So yeah, it's real data. And then and then the groundwater wells, there's thousands and thousands of wells across Phoenix even that are measured all the time to get water levels. So we can use those water level measurements to see where the water table is low or high or what the trends are over time and and build all of that real data into the model. And your company, you yourselves, also build these models as well? We do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, is that the, that's a big part of what your role is. We build models. A lot of times we, we will also use existing models, make modifications or updates. Models are never completely done. There's always more work to do. Uh, there's more data collected. Uh, as the technology advances, there's more we can do with the models, and, and we can build them to, to be uh, a little more precise and more capable as technology changes. So it's, it, it, they're always adapting, and there's always uh, 
there's always a new thing to do in, in groundwater modeling. And are there some specific types of groundwater flow models? It sounds like there's a lot of different models. Are there some that maybe someone like me would understand? Well, I will say that I started the first part of my career running what do you call analytical models. They're, you can almost think of it more like you're building a spreadsheet with with some numbers and and applying some equations. You know, some of we learned some of these equations in in school. The Tice equation is a very popular one that it it just it's a way to be able to estimate how much groundwater levels will decline if you pump a well at a certain rate. And you can use those tools to simulate multiple wells and and they get more sophisticated. So those are analytical models. They're basically solving an equation. Then there's numerical models, which actually are also solving equations, but they're doing it by we're breaking up the earth uh, computer simulation into discrete quantities. You know, we have uh, a grid of cells that represents different locations and also different layers uh, that represent, you know, layers of the earth. And, and so we're building in information that represents what are the hydraulic characteristics of each of these pieces of earth. And we put all of this information into a big tool that, as Elizabeth was describing, we, we put all of this data into it and we estimate how much that aquifer has been stressed over time and uh, over the historical period. And then we calibrate the hydraulic parameters of the model so that the 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 model replicates the historical changes in groundwater level over time, for example. And that's part of what we do. So uh, fascinating yeah, and so multifaceted. And so fun. It, right. It's so fun. For and you. It, and, and it's all and it's all integrated with GIS. You know, it's all spatially accurate. What like, is GIS? So Geographic Geogra- information system. <laughs> Geographic. I don't know Sorry. why I blanked on <laughs> That's that. That's okay. <laughs> Huge part of what we do. But um, yeah, so we, you know, these models talk to GIS where we can have these interactive maps and we can see, you know, where things are and we can bring in other layers and information and from counties and cities and, and state, you know, government agencies and things like that, plus data that we build ourselves. So it's it's really fun and we can, you can see what you're doing and there's these graphical user interfaces that are developed that allow us to also kind of slice the earth and and look at what's going on in cross-section view and different ways. So it's it's a very it's a very fun and diverse discipline. And highly you have to be highly skilled. <laughs> well we understand the data. Yeah. Uh, so so that's a big part of what our job is to understand the data, but then also find ways find efficient ways to get all of that data and encapsulate it into to one groundwater model. And then you have a useful tool. That, you know, the, the amounts of data that we're accounting for when we build a model is, is more than you can just, you, you know, you just can't intuitively think, well, some people maybe, maybe, maybe are this good, but there's so much data that go into these models. Uh, you need a tool. You need a sophisticated tool that can account for all of that simultaneously. And uh, so it's a way to, to integrate data that comes from, you know, our geophysical logs and, and our geologists do logs uh, of, of the material that comes out when we drill wells. Um, there, we put all of this information together and, and, and the groundwater models is the tool we use for that. And as you continue to move forward in your careers and continue to help states, not just Arizona, um, get a better idea of how to use the resources, where they need to go, what do you look forward to as far as ground groundwater 
groundwater flow modeling and the the next iteration of like over time, what else do you look forward to it being able to do? Well, I think it's going to become more complicated and maybe weave in other aspects like economics or surface water, atmospheric um, processes and have more of a complete decision-making tool for water managers and people making decisions for our water resources and over time. So all of these tools that we're talking about, the, the numerical groundwater flow models are all kind of the, the brains and the background of these models. Most all of them use this code called ModFlow that was developed by the U.S. Geological Survey in the 80s. And that code has evolved over time. So that's really a uh, assesses groundwater flow and some surface processes, but there can be other aspects that get w- woven into modeling, basically. So I think it's just going to become more complicated, multifaceted, like Nathan said, and um, just weave in more knobs you can turn in these models in order to come up with those informed decisions for future prediction. Yeah, we, we, we can integrate an economic model, for example. Uh, we can look at, you know, groundwater as the groundwater levels decline over time. It means we're, it's going to require more energy to pump that water out of the earth, and and so it's going to cost more. And so you can, if you if we start to integrate and couple these models with, like she said, atmospheric models or surface water models, but also economic models, it, it can be used to answer a lot of different types of questions or, or look at, uh, answering these, what we're starting with groundwater groundwater model questions, it, we, it can we can make it more broad. Like we could, if we couple it with an atmospheric model, we can then look at scenarios of well, let's say the climate changes into this territory. What does that mean in terms of of, of aquifers and how is how is the groundwater going to respond to that? There's a lot of things you can do as as computing power uh, increases over time. We've already been able to do a lot more than we used to, and and looking at characterizing the uncertainty of our models, you can you can think of when you predict run a predictive modeling scenario. We can't predict the future. Uh, it's kind of like you think about a weather map, and and you have the storm pr- trajectory on the map, and as time goes on, that that projected path is is a, it's a wide range. It's a you know it's, you can think of groundwater models in the same way. When we run out and predict a hundred years into the future. There's pretty big error bars on on what we're able to predict, but with with more computing power, maybe AI will will take this to another level. You know, we're we're able to to actually better characterize what we don't know uh, when we're running these predictions. Run those scenarios. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was curious about AI <laughs> and and how that might fit in here. Any thoughts about that? Any any predictions around AI and how it influences or impacts your work? Yeah. But part of my thought on that. I, so. I've, as a nerd, I'm definitely thinking about AI. One thought on it is, is my job safe? You know, or, 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 We're all thinking that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do think because of what we do is somewhat of a niche, it might take some time to get there. But I do know some modelers are are looking into machine learning and, and how they can be used to, to um, make our models better. And so I do know that I'm, I'm actually excited about it. I, I, the technology is exciting and, and I don't, I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go, but I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to wherever it does take us. Yeah. Elizabeth, any thoughts around AI? Are you going to leave that one alone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, sky's the limit, right? Really? And I mean, 
if you think about where we were 10 years ago with technology and where it's come from, I, I just, my mind is blown. I, I would love to play on that for a second. So you two have been at this for, for quite a few years. How has it changed? I'd imagine the technology, I mean, you kind of have alluded to it, all the possibilities. But when you started, either while you're going through grad school or your first job, what was it like back then as it relates to groundwater flow models? Was it paper and pencil and sketching? We're have you been around that, that long? Old. <laughs> right. Dinosaurs no. were walking around in the backyard. Just kidding. Uh, maybe uh, a little funny story here. So I started in 1999 working for Southwest Groundwater Consultants. And when I started, I had just come from taking a GIS class in school. So I knew I knew about some of the newer technology. And, you know, we now have, we can make maps and, and informed maps that have data that are linked to them. And and so I knew about all of this. But when I when I started, uh, Steve's going to hate me for mentioning this. Steve Noel was the owner of uh, Southwest Groundwater that, that, that sold the matrix. Anyway, when I started, we were making uh, maps for our reports by basically taking a photocopy of a topographic map and then taking these little circle stickers and put it, placing them on the map wherever the wells were located. That was how we made a well That's location. That's what you had map. to do. <laughs> yeah. I but, love that, back so, in the day. And it took me a little bit to convince Steve <laughs> that we needed to start doing these things with GIS, but we got there. And so... That, that's one example of, you know, everything is we've just become more capable with, with computing resources. And, yeah. you know, now when we're calibrating groundwater flow model, for example, we're connecting all the computers in the office and the number of CPUs determines how quickly you're going to calibrate the model. So the more, anyway, I'm nerding out a little no, bit. No, I love it. You get, you get uh, a lot of computers helping solve your problem. You can solve, you can answer a lot more questions. <laughs> Yeah, and the integration with GIS. I mean, everything's in data databases. So, and, and it wasn't like that back then. No, and and geo databases. So everything's you know geo referenced, and you have everything has a spatial coordinate and and projection projection to that. And we do really walk in and out of GIS all the time with our modeling softwares and our programs that we've written in-house to process data and to quickly be more efficient with our jobs to look at the results. And how do you look at the results? It's one thing to run the model and set up the model and run it, but then then what? So now you have this result and you have to interpret that and massage the data that comes out of the model into something that makes sense. And makes sense not only to your team, <laughs> but to the developer or whoever has hired you to come and bring this data to them so they can make some wise decisions. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Matrix New World is a female-owned company. Jane, where? Jane Warren. Warren, sorry. I, I always like hearing about women-run businesses. She also has a science background, and how did she, do, do you know her story? I understand she's a geotechnical engineer, start, the, started the company on that basis, and it's just grown from there going into all these different uh, facets. And the great work that you all were doing with the other company before New Matrix or Matrix New World, I keep getting that mixed up, is what brought them to Arizona. Is that correct? Well, they they already had some uh, involvement out you here with that. one of the environmental sites in the, in the West Valley, the PGA North Superfund site, uh, helping uh, manage and the remediation of that contaminant plume out there. Uh, and so they, they saw the potential, you know, they, they saw that, that when you have good hydrogeologists, uh, that there's there's plenty of things that, that we need hydrogeologists for, uh, 
for in the company nationwide, but also in, even here in Arizona. There's there's a lot. Southwest Groundwater is a successful company. We were doing a lot of things, and and they saw the good things we were doing and thought this would be great, beneficial to bring these two together. Can we talk about contamination a little bit and your role with that? And, and what is contamination? I mean, I have some ideas, but what is that? And then how, what is your role in, in assessing that or helping to clean it up? I'll start. Yeah. Uh, Jump so, in there, Elizabeth, when you're ready. <laughs> There's a lot of different potential sources of contamination. I mentioned the PJ North Superfund site. So that's a particular location out at the airport where historically, you know, we didn't know that some of these chemicals were harmful. And, and in the past, there was potentially, you know, uh, folks would, would release the, that, those chemicals out into the environment and the, those chemicals would find their way into the, to the groundwater. And we've since learned how harmful some of these chemicals are. And so, so our job is to help characterize the contamination, how far it's moved in, in the groundwater or in the, in the unsaturated zone above the aquifer yeah, we characterize how far it's gone, how deep it's gone. The, you know, as you can imagine, the earth is very has complex system of, of layers. So we're, we're drilling wells and we're collecting a lot of information to, to be able to understand how water is moving and that water is carrying the contaminants. And then, and then as, on the flip side of that, we're using that information to then design how do we best control the contamination from migrating further and how can we how can we pump that out and basically control the movement of groundwater to, to actually reduce the footprint of the plume? And then uh, on the uh, another part of our business is we're, we're looking into ways to remediate the, the contaminated groundwater. And so we have a uh, microbiologist in our office that basically knows how to get the bugs down into the, into the, to the ground to be able to, to, and those bugs basically eat the contamination uh, and and so there we're, we're attacking the source area of contamination and you know all of this together basically it certainly allows us to control the extent of of the plume the contaminant plume but ultimately if if we if we get at it long enough there are sites where we're able to remediate and and treat uh the the contamination to a point where we're, we're, it's gone that's fascinating yeah so many questions running through my mind. Again, <laughs> from a very uh, just community-minded, sustainability resource, love the earth mind. You mentioned, of course, that a lot of the people in your office are, are you know, lovers of the outdoors and that sort of thing. What might either of you say to folks who are interested in helping sustain our earth? What can we be doing in order to be more careful with our earth? And, and I mean, is it just as general as, you know, what you pack in, you pack out, and from a, maybe a, a large enterprise perspective, are people still contaminating water from from a, a chemical perspective? And thoughts on that? Yeah, I think water conservation is a big thing. Um, I from know, a household perspective yeah, from a house- and an enterprise. Okay. Yeah, just, f- just from a community perspective, a household. You know, I mean, maybe you have uh, native vegetation in your yards and you're just being aware of your, you know, your water usage. An enterprise level, I don't know where to start with that. I mean, I know that there's some companies that really take it seriously and then others that maybe don't. So, And industries as well, <laughs> right? Not only just the enterprises, but also specific industries. Yeah. Some are more careful and than, and, than others. Yeah, and as far as conservation, I feel like the cost of water is still relatively 
free almost, you know, if you compare it to petroleum or other resource, natural resources. I mean, we're still not really protecting it like we should. Yeah, I think being conscious of, uh, you know, in, in Arizona, 72% uh, of our water supply is for farming. And so it's a big part of our water use. But farming is an important part of our economy, and these are complicated questions. And, and so I think becoming more aware of the challenges that we face and helping the more people understand the, the, the problem, I think it's going to help. So I, I really like the municipal conservation part of this because it gets the community a little more in tune to being part of the solution and, and, and hopefully education of you know, what our challenges are and we can all work together to, to find that solution. You know, as I mentioned before, is it, do we, are we going to reduce our demand are we going to find another supply? That these are things that we're going to we're working on, uh, and it's going to take some time to figure out. But it would be the more the the community can can get uh, educated and involved, uh, the better. And who is currently doing the education for the most part? Is it legislatures? Is it you know our sustainable advocates and nonprofits? Is it companies like yours? Is it a combination? Where where how do we get the word out so that more and more people are conscientious and aware and taking responsibility? I would say it's probably all of the above. Yeah, I think it's at the municipal level for sure. It's at, in the universities and, and different outreach programs and things like that. There's a lot of nonprofit groups and, you know, advocacy groups trying to protect existing wildlife and, and, and waterway structures and things like that. So I think it's at, it's at all the levels. The yeah. Department of Water Resources, Arizona Department of Water Resources, has uh, does a lot. Uh, just this weekend, there was a water awareness uh, event down at the, the state capitol that uh, I attended. Uh, I think they're going to do that every year, so definitely uh, people can come check that out next year. Uh, uh, I'm involved with Arizona Hydrological Society, so it, it's primarily a group of uh, hydrologists and other scientists that, that come together, and, and we have experts come and give talks on different uh, topics. and. And folks are welcome to, to come to those meetings and, and come learn about, uh, you know, a lot of them are these same topics we're talking about today, water resources. Uh, um, so, you know, there's groups like that that, uh, that gather and, and, you know, mingle and, and talk about our, our challenges. You had mentioned a couple of times that, and I'll use my language, that, that we may come to a point where we have to use less water. How does that happen. I mean, it has to happen with education. I'm going back to, I want to say maybe the 70s when I was a young kid in Northern California. I remember that we really had to be conscientious around what we were doing. And I was taught to, you know, only shower for a certain number of minutes and that, you know, watering our lawn at different times or trying to, as you kind of pointed out, picking vegetation that was specific to the region. So, in, you know, it didn't require I me mean, in Northern California, it was raining a lot. But moving out here in Arizona, I'm always very conscientious around what kind of plants and cacti that I'm choosing for my yard. What does that look like if we had to begin to use less? Is it those kinds of things, again, coming from the municipality and, and educating and starting to put some restraints on, on what and when, how much we're using and when we're using it? I think, again, it is a bit of an uh, all of the above. Uh, I, all of the things you mentioned are definitely ways we can re reduce our municipal use. We can find ways, uh, you know, we have a lot of our water in Arizona goes to farming, as I mentioned, so we can maybe look to ways to farm with less water or 
you know, look for growing crops that maybe use less or or finding ways to be more efficient with the with the water use. And, and, and then that would also apply to industry. There's practices that can be do, used to recycle water in an industrial facility, for example, so you're not having to bring in a new supply every time you're you're developing what it, whatever it is you're developing. So there's, it's really a, an all of the above approach, I think. Elizabeth, anything that I haven't thought to ask that you really wanted to make sure that our listeners and our viewers were aware of as it relates to Matrix New World and, of course, water conservation and what we're doing with groundwater? You know, I'm just really happy to be here and to talk about this and to get the word out, I think educating people and awareness and talking more about it. It's a complicated topic and there's a lot of depth to it and a lot of, of avenues. And so I feel like the more we get out, and, and I think a lot of scientists and engineers are more introverted, quiet type library workers. And so this is maybe out of our element a little bit. But For the two of you? Maybe as a general, but not the two of you. The general, I think our <laughs> general discipline and industry, yeah. And so I think, but I think it's important, and I think it's important to educate people and to talk about it. And it, and hopefully it's becoming, you know, the science is driving the decisions more. And as we get, you know, new people in po- uh, political roles and making decisions for our, our cities and, and counties and our state, that they're listening to stuff like this a little bit more and maybe, you know, getting more involved and coming to the experts. And so, you know, and that's really what we do in working on groundwater and and modeling. And and we don't, our matrix in Arizona doesn't just do groundwater modeling. You know, we're drilling wells and we're doing this environmental cleanup type efforts and the the microbiology work, like the the bugs, you know, and the eating the contamination. And so there's there's a lot of pieces and parts that we're doing that I feel like it's important to just talk about as much as we can. And I agree. The education, we've mentioned that early on in this segment, education is everything and it, it shouldn't just be a responsibility of our legislature or, or those who are, you know, concerned with conservation. I think it requires businesses and, and conscientious people like you and your team to make sure that we all know about the great work that you're doing and how complex <laughs> it is and, and really how vast it is as well. Anything else, Nathan, that you would you want to make sure that our listeners and viewers leave with today? Well, well just going back for a second, when I started in 1999, I was afraid to talk on the phone. So I, I just wanted to say— I love that. Yeah. I mean, I have come a long way. <laughs> certainly. But when you, when you mentioned that, I didn't mean to interrupt, Elizabeth. I, I would agree. Scientists, researchers, right? Engineers tend to be more reserved, more quiet, less vocal. And whoever said that you two needed to be here today could not have picked a better pair. So great <laughs> job in all this improvement. <laughs> well, thank you. But I, what I do want to make sure, kind of the message that I think is the take-home message, the science, we do need to be really diligent about the science. And, and, and the science is important. It is complicated. But we do have a lot of really good groundwater modelers and hydrogeologists in Arizona. And we do need to make sure that that we're all, you know, we're, we're maybe coming at answering some of these questions from different angles, you know, whether it's a municipality or water utility or a developer that's hiring us to to answer their questions about the future of water supply. There's there's people from an environmental group or the regulatory agency that might be coming at it from a different angle, but we all need to be talking to each other and we all need to be putting good science into answering these questions because it's really important. And are developers the only folks that would hire you, or is it? It's varied. 
Yeah. So who else are, would would be a great partner and, and a great client for Matrix New World? It, it's is it the muni- folks who are running the yeah municipalities the definitely. There's also watershed partnership groups for different areas, the counties, the the cities, any water provider. They're private water companies. Yeah. yeah. For our listeners and our and our viewers who have come to listen to Nathan and Elizabeth speak today. To Nathan's point a moment ago, how really this is something that we have to continue these conversations. If there's something that you've heard today that these two professionals have shared that you want to elaborate on, when you hear and see this, whether it's on LinkedIn or any of the major podcast outlets, it would help if you chime in and you comment <laughs> and be sure to share your your thoughts around it. And Let's keep the conversation going that way. Probably, I don't know, we've had over 2,000 shows come out of Phoenix Business Radio X, not all that I've hosted. Our clients do it as well. In six years, I don't think I've ever encouraged people to do that. So this is a first, and I think that's a great way to keep this very conversation going. You've mentioned that it takes a team and it takes a lot of different players. It's one big ecosystem. So this isn't just about Metrics New World and the two of you specifically. This is around how do we keep this conversation so more and more people are educated and aware and taking responsibility for, and that'd be a great way to do it. So when you come and listen, if you would just, you know, pop in and, and add your, your two cents or ask a question of our experts, it would be great to keep that conversation going. I just, I'm so thrilled that I thought, now I can't wait to see how that works because I've never done it before, but it seems like that's one great way to keep this conversation going. This has been fascinating. I, I, I'm glad that you are happy to be here. I hope Nathan is too. We're really glad that, you know, you, um, you I am. You I'm do, thrilled. Do, this is fun. Uh, and, and truly, you're, you're both uh, not only great at what you do for the industry, but also very comfortable people to talk with. And so I'm glad that, again, the powers that be that said it was come, t- come time to spend with us. We're glad you did that. Where and how do people stay in touch with you and Matrix New World? What's the best? LinkedIn? I know. I think that's where we might have connected. Yeah, I think we're we're on all of the social media platforms. Yeah. LinkedIn's a good one. Our website is www.mnwe.com. Yep. And, and Twitter and Facebook and look at that and Instagram. Yeah. Whoever's doing your marketing, well done, people. <laughs> Excellent. So Instagram Matrix New World and then same thing with Twitter and it looks like it's just one W, right? Matrix New World. That's right. Yep. Okay. Important to note. And Facebook as well. And then are both of you as professionals, uh, Nathan Miller and Elizabeth Mora on LinkedIn as well? Yep. Yes. So good. Thank you again for being here. Thank you so much. Very much enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center in Tempe, Arizona. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business and groundwater. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 